Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this Friday y'all and a blustery one out there. That wind is whipping around and it's a little chilly. Who turned on the air conditioner? Dang. It is January though but we are here Ready to go in the seat. It is a Friday. We made it. Moving right through January at a rapid pace. Lots of news to get to coming up on the program today at 11.05. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist for Super Top Mississippi News. She'll round up the news, the headlines from across the great state of Mississippi this past week and Perhaps give us a preview into the stories we'll be covering next week. And then at at 12.05, Representative Lee Yancey, he hails from Rankin County, represents District 74, serves as the chair of the House Drug Policy Committee. Representative Yancey will discuss the 2023 session thus far. And also talk about his legislative priorities and focus for his committee, the uh, Drug Policy Committee. The markets, the Dow, made a rather abrupt turnaround. The old kangaroo hopping around mightily today, up about 48 points at present. The NASDAQ, however, is in the red. So a mixed picture on Wall Street Banks released earnings this morning, the big banks. And, uh, you know, (laughs) we've talked about how these economists, every economist has to have two hands, because any time they provide an analysis, they always pivot to, but on the other hand, (laughs) well, that's exactly what we have this morning. Early this morning, we started getting... The reports, quarterly earnings reports from the big banks, I thought they looked pretty good, honestly. And then I hear economists and market analysts weigh in, and there's no consensus on was this good or was this bad. J.P. Morgan, Citibank, double beat, meaning they exceeded their revenue and their profit 
projections for the quarter, Bank of America announced no layoffs. But we have seen a sharp decrease in investment activity from the big banks, and that is the second source of revenue for a lot of these guys. The biggest source, no surprise, interest. It's the difference between the interest they pay out on money parked in the bank and the interest that they charge and receive in the form of revenue. That's referred to as net interest, and that's the, the margins, if you will, for a bank. That's how they're calculated. But it's a mixed picture. The economists can't agree. We'll see where it all goes. Big Tech, Alphabet, Microsoft down today. Apple as well. It's just going to be tumultuous at a mini at a minimum, choppy going forward, I believe. Of course, across the state of Mississippi, the big news yesterday was the announcement from Northern District Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley that he is a candidate for governor of the great state of Mississippi. As a Democrat, he wasted no time in distributing a video that took some shots at Governor Tate Reeves, as a matter of fact. I will say, it's a well-done video. I think I've heard lots of of uh, response to Mr. Presley's video. It's all been fairly positive, honestly. Now, a video does not a governor make, right? You may have a great video, but where the old rubber meets the road, as it is said, when you're seated in office and responsible for the duties of the governor, that's a whole different thing. So what Mr. Presley said is, in his, I guess, announcement, right, besides the more lengthy announcement, his social media announcement attached to the video that's being distributed, quote, Mississippi deserves leaders who fight for our families children, and workers rather than themselves and their rich friends. We deserve leaders who will never forget where they come from or who put them in office. Do you think that's a shot at the present governor? I, I scratch my head on that one. What do you think he's trying to say there? Or is it just maybe just trying to frame his overall approach to governing, his philosophy of governing. What does it mean when a politician says they'll fight? I've always wondered that. What do you mean by that? Like, Well, it depends on what letter you have by your name. Okay. If you've got a D by your name, then it obviously means they're going to go into office and do everything you could ever want them to do for you. Okay. If they've got an R by that name, it means they're inciting violence and they're insurrectionists. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up for me. <laughs> it it is true though. I it's it's common and I it, it's just something that crosses my mind. I'm not trying to be critical here, and I, and and this is not unique to Mr. Presley. Candidates of all stripes. I'm going to fight for you. What does that mean exactly? 
You're going to deliver fiery speeches from the well? You're going to go fistercuffs with your opponents or those who don't align with your policy agenda? What does that mean? I'm going to fight. Maybe he's got a whole barrel of euphemisms like Biden's dog-faced pony soldier he's going to throw out there. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started <laughs> on Mr. Corvette. I'm not sure what's more <laughs> dangerous to the planet. The classified documents being in his garage or Biden having the keys to a Corvette? Which is it? <laughs> How many documents <laughs> can the Corvette lose per, per hour? What's the speed there? Well, the 65 Stingray Corvette can lose 60 co- classified documents in 4.3 seconds. <laughs> it's just... You know, this is a problem for the Democrats. It really is, because they made such a big deal out of Trump with the documents at Mar-a-Lago. These are in the guy's garage. And now we're seeing images from some time ago. You showed it to me yesterday. Oh, yeah, he put out a campaign ad. Look (laughs) at me. I'm Creepy Uncle Joe in my old Corvette. Watch me back it in the garage. What are those boxes over there? Full of boxes. And he tried to tell America yesterday, yeah, but they were in my garage where my Corvette is parked and it's locked, my locked garage. Oh, yeah, that that makes us feel better. (laughs) My locked garage. So Mr. Presley says he's going to fight for our families. What does that mean exactly? For children. What does that mean? So... In my qu- it's a serious it's question. It's for the kids. For the kids. Specifically, what does that mean? You as a governor, when you think about your, your span of control, your scope of power, what does that mean? And it's a fair question to any politician, I think, that says, I'm going to fight. Uh, you need to send me there because I'm going to fight. Well, is it a like a boxing match? <laughs> Maybe it is to some extent. We almost had one the other night, did we not, during the speaker election? I and think, it between... wouldn't even have come close to the first time fisticuffs have been achieved <laughs> on the floor of Congress. Maybe that's what it's we ought to do. It's just been a while. That's an idea, isn't it? You ever hear the story that it's folklore, I'm sure, but... Back, I remember, when I was in college, they used to talk about, before they had a limit on the number you could have on a football roster in college. There's a limits now, 85 on scholarship, so forth. And Bear Bryant would, like, have five deep back in those days, right? They said, well, how do you decide? Who's going to start? You're so deep. You got so, And he did platoon. I mean, like, it's a whole new offense on the next play. And when we come back, I'll tell you how... The legend goes as to how he made those decisions. Who's going to start? Stay with us. Fleetwood Mac with the chain bump on the side of this segment on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
are back in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Keith Invaden says on the ceasefire text line, Gerard, I have a couple of ideas about those documents the Dems are going to try to get the House to concentrate on the documents instead of going after Joe and Hunter or the Dems. No, that crap is fixing to hit the fan and wanting to step down as president. Plausible theory? Don't know that I'm totally on board with you on that, uh, though, Keith. We'll have to see. Someone said, uh, had an idea here, Rhino, about how we should conduct business in the chambers. I thought I saw that. Now I can't find it. They said we should do a, a duel, right? Oh, yeah, it was Kevin hey, and Marcelo. We need yeah. legalized pistol dueling. So let me finish my story about uh, about Bear Bryant and how he would decide who was going to get the nod to start at a particular position. The tail had it that he would dig a hole <laughs> literally in the ground, and if he had a a situation where it was a decision between two players, they just both crawled down into the hole, and whichever one came out <laughs> got the starting nod. <laughs> I'm here, coach! <laughs> You know, that's probably not far-fetched, knowing how the bear... But it is true back in those days. And I remember going to games, and it'd be a different 11 on offense, like every play. While the opponents, it's the same players, and they're worn slap out, and they're bringing in fresh legs every play. And they were all good. You couldn't tell the difference. They just all execute... With uh, magnificence. It's just incredible. On the ceasefire text line, Dan Hattiesburg reminds, Bear Bryant had no intentions of playing all those guys. He just wanted to make sure that you couldn't play them. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. Back when you could do that. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, so these documents that we've now found at uh, Joe's house in Delaware in his garage... Leave it to our old friend, Hammerin' Hank Johnson from Florida. Georgia. <laughs> oh, par- pardon me, from Georgia, the great state of Georgia. Hammerin' Hank, folks, you recall, he's the guy that asked an admiral there at the House of Representatives with a straight face whether or not expanding a base, a military installation, on the island of Guam would cause it to tip over the island because the base was situated on one side, one side, and that would essentially he's uh, suggesting that expanding the base would add more weight to that half of the island and thus cause the island to tip over. And he was serious. And what was great was that the admiral answered him respectfully and with some degree of a serious tone. How did he keep a straight face when that fool was asking him that? So here's Hammer and Hank Johnson's theory on this documents, these documents in uh, Biden's garage. My response to it all is that 
alleged classified documents showing up allegedly in the possession of uh, of uh, Joseph Biden. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so much that needs to be um, investigated, and um, and that's that's what I call for is for everything to be investigated. But I'm suspicious of the timing of it. I'm I'm also aware of the fact that things can be planted on people. <laughs> Places and things can be planted. Um, things things can be planted in places um, and then discovered conveniently. That may be what has occurred here. I'm not ruling that out, but I don't. I'm I'm open in terms of the investigation needs to be investigated. <laughs> what what did he say more, more alleged or planted? <laughs> Alleged classified documents allegedly in the garage could have been planted. So somebody just that you don't know plants these boxes full of documents and you don't notice that for years. Come on, Hammer and Hank. I know you ain't real bright, but this one this one might take the cake over your suggestion that Guam's gonna tip over. <laughs> If we head on to this military base on one side of the island there. Oh, it needs to be investigated. What about this Joseph Biden? Where did that come from? Joseph Biden. (laughs) At least he sounds more intelligent, even though it's obvious he's not, than our vice president. Dear Lord, that woman. Again, I ask... Can she not talk to a group of adults like they're fifth graders? <laughs> you got some sound? I think. Oh yeah, I could dig some up. Let's see here, because she's always going about just the most insane words out. Here we go. Here's... I think of this moment as a moment that is about great momentum. Inspired by, yes, optimism, inspired by a crisis, no doubt, um, but inspired by also our collective ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been. And that's critically important. What the hell is she talking about? Or better yet, who doesn't love school buses? One of the many things. I'm excited about electric school buses. I love electric school buses. I just love them for so many reasons. Maybe because I went to school on a school bus. Hey, raise your hand if you went to school on oh, a school bus. You went right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing gets by her, does it? Hammer. Is there no one in her circle that can go, look, lady, we know you're the vice president, but you've got to read the briefings. For the love of all that's holy, please, please read the briefings. Here we go. Here's same exact conversation. CARICOM. It is the Caribbean nations, island nations. In the Western Hemisphere, that is where the Caribbean is. We are also in the Western Hemisphere. They are our neighbors. <laughs> Well, woo! So, raise your hand if you went to school on a school bus. That's important to know. Hammer and Hank been there since 07. 07. From the great state of Georgia, Georgia's 4th District. How could he... They keep electing him, obviously. 
even though he thinks Guam will tip over. <laughs> and that was over a decade ago. Yeah, that's true. At least before that, it's like, well, they didn't maybe didn't know how ignorant he was. But <laughs> dear Lord, it's been over a decade. It's still, they hadn't got the message. Evidently, Amanda from Pike, Pike County says that's crazy lizard speak. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line, short bus. Remember Sheila Jackson Lee from Houston? Think NASA famously asked. Where did we plant the flag on Mars? I didn't know that. Is that true? She asked where we planted the flag on Mars. Jeez. Malcolm from Tishomingo County says, The papers are a sad thing, but here's what makes me furious. He shut down fossil fuels and then has the nerve to drive his gas-guzzling Corvette Stingray in a video. Yeah, we pointed that out yesterday, Malcolm, that... That uh, bit well, of in fairness, that was a campaign video before he was elected president. He's not allowed to drive it anymore. Oh, they don't. You're not allowed to drive if you're president. That's true. You can't drive yourself. You're absolutely right. I wonder if he sneaks a drive in here and there, though. <laughs> <laughs> Move those documents out of the way. Those classified documents. I gotta back out my Corvette. <laughs> yeah, it is blatant hypocrisy, Malcolm. You're so right. We pointed that out yesterday. You're driving this this vintage Corvette that, honestly, probably Rhino gets about six miles to the gallon. It's probably got a four-barrel carburetor, holly carb, sitting atop the engine there that's got butterflies that when you open them up, it's two gallons. That's what we did back then. Muscle cars. But it's okay for him. It, just another example in the long list of the old rules for thee but not for me stuff that I know just aggravates Americans. We are going to step aside right here as the Steve Miller band <laughs> breaks us out with the Joker. <laughs> We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. at the passing of Lisa Marie Presley, daughter of Elvis, passed away at the age of 54. No details, really, at this point are there that I've seen on the no, cause of death. No, because Priscilla Presley, her mom, and Elvis's ex-wife put out the uh, statement on social media that she had been rushed to the hospital. Saw that. And she asked for prayers and privacy. Right. So, no secret, though, that she has struggled with uh, addiction. 
in other illnesses throughout her life, as did her father, uh, certainly later on in life. Struggled with that as well. I guess, like most who were around at the time of the king's death, I remember exactly where I was. I think most people would say that's one of those events that occurred. The shooting ultimate assassination of President Kennedy, that's one that always comes to mind. That you, It's just so uh, such a huge, high-profile event that just changed life, certainly. Felt like it was sort of like life before that and life after that. It's just one of those things you will never forget. Those two come to mind for sure. 9-11 is another example. Folks who were around Pearl Harbor. Of course, the news didn't travel. Most learned that through the radio. You didn't turn the TV on and see images of ships on fire at Pearl Harbor the way you did of 9-11, right? We were all glued to the televisions watching that situation. I think most remember. And, and Elvis, I think, rises to that level. I don't know that his daughter will be the same in that respect. But we are sad to hear about her passing and the age of 54, certainly way too soon to leave the earth. And, and, and as we learn more about the cause, we'll certainly pass that on. On the good news side, I think you shared yesterday that DeMar Hamlin's been released. Right from the hospital. That's correct. Bills reported that he's still going to undergo observation, and he's going to check in with the Bills trainers and have a couple of checkups with the doctor. But he has been released to recover and rehab at home. Sounds like he's going to achieve full recovery and be back at it. Looking forward to that. On the ceasefire text line, Rusty says. There is only one hammer in Hank, and it is not some idiot congressman. <laughs> I hear you, Rusty, and of course I agree with it. I hope uh, you will take my uh, assignment of that nickname to the congressman in jest as it is intended to be. Uh, I, I will have to admit a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm sort of mocking him, honestly. That's not something I... I do on a regular basis, but this guy, I think, has earned it. <laughs> he, as Brino said, he's been there 15 years now. It was 2010 when he may have put on the show that would earn him the label of, of being the dumbest Congress person ever when he asked that admiral in complete seriousness. Oh, yeah, he spent the first couple minutes of his question going over the dimensions of the island by, well, the island's roughly 21 miles long and seven miles wide. And, you get... and he had data about the number of people, remember oh, yeah. that? And, like, the positioning of the base on the island, which he noted was tilted to one side, mostly the base, the land that it occupied. He was dead serious. My hat's off to that admiral for not saying, are you kidding? <laughs> but rather, 
Uh, uh, no, Congressman, I mean, it was, you know, very collegial uh, of a response. Now, of course, we got Karine Jean-Pierre, the worst White House press secretary in history, chosen, you know this, solely because of what she is, a black lesbian. Let's just be honest. Haters out there that heard me say that, come on. It's the truth. She wasn't chosen for her merit, for her qualifications. No. Chosen because she checked boxes, in this case, multiple boxes. The the entire cabinet was selected on that basis. This is the march to mediocrity. But listening to her respond to mainly Peter Ducey, who's been pressing her on these classified documents. It's laughable. And, of course, she immediately jumps to the Trump, 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 Trump. I just wonder where the Playboy guy went. He seemed to be really invested in presidential politics and screaming at the press secretaries to answer his question. Yeah, that's true. Where is he? I don't know. That's a good question. But it it certainly seems like we should learn, at, at a minimum, we should learn the contents of those documents. The public, I think, deserves to know clearly. And we should also see the records of all those who who visited the property. Isn't that what the protocol is? You're supposed to keep records of that? Yeah, the White House keeps logs of whoever visits his house, but they're not going to release them. And she said something yesterday suggesting that Trump wasn't doing that with respect to even in the White House, as I recall. her One of her responses, I think, uh, hinted in that direction. She wasn't just talking about keeping records of those who visited the Mar-a-Lago property, but rather was talking about the White House itself, as if that the Trump administration really wasn't <clears throat> adhering to those those standards, those laws. That's the first time I'd ever heard that, but she certainly did go there. But we should learn, I think, the details of this, whether or not we will, unlikely. I think it's unlikely that we'll get any information along those lines. I just don't think they're going to tell us. It's just mo- uh, the most likely situation. She, uh, but she can spin. They've taught her well how to be a spin doctor. That's really what her job is, if you think about having her boss as, as your boss. It's what you do every day is go out and defend and spin. But I hear you, Rusty. Hope you, uh, you take it in jest. That's what it was intended to be. William and Tupelo said that the news said cardiac arrest, the cause of death for Lisa. But Yeah, I mean that's how she was discovered by her husband who performed CPR until the paramedics got there, but still though, more details, right? I mean cardiac arrest seems kind of general when you're fifty four. I mean it's not like you got such an old heart that it just gave out. That's a little different situation. You wouldn't ask much uh, pry much further if it were an older person, but the person at 54, unless they've got some sort of serious previously known heart conditions, heart disease, so we don't know that at this point. 
I heard on the Lars Larson show last night that Joe was renting that house to Hunter for forty nine grand a month. Didn't you find something about that yesterday? Yeah, there was a, a sheet going around on social media that looks like a legitimate background check form, just a boilerplate. You fill out the information with your previous... And I want to say the $49,000 a month came from where Hunter was currently staying at the time he filled out the form. But yeah, it's got Hunter Biden's name on it, the address of the house, and uh, it's it's him claiming ownership of the home on the background check form. I bet there's more to it than meets the eye. Well, There's yeah. some reason those documents I mean, those are documents there. have been there for six years, and it wasn't... It was less than six years ago Biden was talking to Jay Leno in an interview talking about how Hunter Biden surprised him with an engine swap in that very Corvette. We need to know who's been in that house. It's so just simple as that. We at least know Hunter Biden had access to classified documents in the garage, and we do know, thanks to Hunter Biden's laptop, that Hunter Biden was not above breaking the law. Absolutely. At least I'm pretty sure hookers and crack cocaine are against the law. <laughs> the other thing is when Ducey asked him about it, we played the, the uh, sound of it yesterday, he just seemed to be beaming with pride over the fact that he had this Corvette. It did seem that way. It's Well, that's why his response was so awkward that he talked about it's in the, it's in the garage, a locked garage with my Corvette, and then read the prepared statement. That everybody knows how seriously I take classified documents. <laughs> he said, you know I have a Corvette. What is this, like Burt Reynolds, our president? <laughs> I'm still wondering, what's more dangerous, Biden having classified docs or the keys to a Corvette? You know, it's my Corvette. <laughs> that just makes you more suspicious when he responded with that, does it not? Coming right back here on Midday, stay with us. Set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Welcome back, everyone. Middays. All we need is a little Wolfman Jack. <laughs> CCR with Midnight Special. That was fun back in those days, watching the Midnight Special. Just being able to stay up as a younger <laughs> buck was a lot more fun then. Always look forward to those. Midnight Specials. On the ceasefire uh, text line, let's be real. Kamala was chosen for the same reason. That in reference to my assertion that the the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, was chosen because of her race and sexual orientation. I absolutely do believe that. And I agree with you. Joe made it clear early on 
that his vice presidential candidate, before he named Kamala, recall, was going to be a black female. He made that clear. He announced that, right? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a black female. Doesn't matter if there's not a black female who's qualified for the job. We're going to check that box, and we're going to ensure that we're complying with this concept of diversity and equity. I don't know about you guys. I'm getting kind of sick of all that. I got an email yesterday from a major law firm that was uh, – and, and really this this email is in the form of a newsletter. And the entire newsletter is focused on the firm's focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it included stories that coincided with that theme. And I just wonder, again, are we – truly producing anything of value for society. What is that all about? Why so much focus on that? I still believe that what we should implement in organizations is a much smaller, scaled-down unit that would focus on exclusion, meaning Is this entity, is this organization, is this company, is this agency, not-for-profit, just across the spectrum of organizational entities, are they engaged in any sort of exclusion? If not, good to go. Forcing inclusion and measuring all this diversity and numbers of this and that and here and the other. You're just plugging in people based on what they are without focusing on and considering what's most important, which is performance and qualifications and skills and merit and experience. Just seems like that's been pitched out the window. I saw a report Yesterday, a major corporation in this country no longer will accept resumes that list the college that one attended. You can list your degrees, but you cannot name the institution from which you received your degree. They see that as an effort to achieve diversity and equity. It's just a matter of time. You just won't even provide your your educational achievements and background. That won't even be on there. In fact, you might as well just go ahead and just give them your pronouns, your sexual orientation, your race, your ethnicity, your the gender that you identify as. That's all you need. Now just plug that in. One of them, two of those, three of them. It is crazy. I'm going to keep harping on that because I do think that that is a, a serious issue in this country that it's happening in such a pernicious fashion. You don't you don't see a lot about it unless you really kind of look for it, but it absolutely is happening across the country in every corner of society. There's no doubt about it. 
It's this school in Virginia we talked about that withheld awards from the National Merit Test until after college application day. That's an example. And now they have admitted, you've seen this, yeah, it was to in order to achieve racial equity. That's where we're headed. We need a, by the way, I'm going to talk to our legislature. We need a law in the state of Mississippi that would require education, K-12, to provide those scores and awards and so forth to students and parents within a short period of time, some reasonable period of time after receipt. How about 24 hours? Coming right back with Kelly Bennett. Stay with us. Life is good today. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. back everyone hour two of midday super talk mississippi we are back in the element wealth studios on this friday y'all and joining us now kelly bennett multimedia journalist super talk mississippi news kelly how's it going this morning it's going really well how are you happy new year everybody New year to you as well kelly thank you for that so folks of course know you from uh the news clips that we hear in the breaks here on Middays, we appreciate that. And often, of course, you'll listen in on some of the interviews we do. And shortly thereafter, you'll have that put up as a clip featuring uh, the discussion sometimes. Yeah. Now, I was hearing a little feedback, so I was trying to eliminate that. I don't know what's... I think we're good now, huh, Rhino? Rhino shaking his head. Yeah, I think we're okay. Yeah, maybe a tad okay, hot, but good. I think we're good. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating, actually, what we do here as a group at Supertalk, because you guys get all the state leaders on and the movers and shakers from the state. And then the guys in the news department, like me, we get to turn that around into news. So we get this really great, in-depth, 10-minute-long interview, sometimes even longer than that. And it really gives you... A, an in-depth understanding I don't think I would normally get unless um, I was out at the legislature, you know, sitting in front of lawmakers while the 2023 session is underway and staying out there all day. So, I mean, you guys, what you do on your end is a big help to what goes on in the news department here. Well, it, it's a team effort. It all works together. And sometimes, of course, when we have folks uh, on the show that we interview, uh, all of our audience may not be able to catch that live. But when there are uh, comments made, statements made that certainly are, are newsworthy, and then we uh, capture that, and you guys turn it into a bit of a news story, and that gets included as clips uh, in our breaks at the top of the hour. I think that's really the way to keep people informed uh, in our audience. And that's what it's, uh, absolutely, and that's what it's all about. 
All right, so we got the legislature that's been down there at the Capitol now for a little less than two weeks. Uh, I guess today would mm-hmm. be day nine of being in session. What What's uh, some of the key takeaways you think we've seen, f- certainly from the folks that we've been interviewing and, and just uh, other stories that have caught your attention? It certainly seems like there's going to be a lot of debate on whether or not to eliminate the income tax, tax rebates. How exactly are we going to handle that billion-plus surplus that the state of Mississippi has been running every year? So there are a lot of lawmakers that feel like it's time to give that back to taxpayers. Others are arguing, hey, we've got issues that we need to spend this on, the crime crisis in Jackson, uh, infrastructure, water systems, uh, we've got a mental health crisis that's currently, I think there are some lawsuits that right. we're dealing with. Uh, just so many things. So that's going to be a big deal. Another one that I really see getting a lot of attention this session is hospitals. Yep. Uh, we've got close to 40 hospitals in danger of having to close their doors because of the financial crisis. And legislators are already talking about how can we fix this? And there needs to be a short-term fix and a long-term fix. So that's going to that's gonna take front and center, I think, in the 2023 session. Yeah, and then you've got the minority party. The Democrat Party has also published their agenda as well, which, of course, includes uh, Medicaid expansion and financial aid for the health care community. I think those are probably the top items on, on their list of priorities. I don't know if that gets uh, much traction, if at all. Uh, in this legislative session, but they're still pressing for, forward with that uh, no matter. And then, of course, we've got Brandon Presley announcing his uh, candidacy for governor. You know, it's funny you bring that up because that was going to be where I went next. <laughs> Do you realize that there are actually three candidates in the governor's, governor's race already? I'm not sure that I do. We uh, Well, we have Brandon. We have, of course, Governor Tate Reeves. And then do we have a libertarian right. candidate as well? No, there's another Democrat, okay. according to what I understand. And I haven't heard this anywhere until this morning. A Democrat by the name of Gregory Wash, who ran unsuccessfully in 2019, is apparently in the race for governor as well. So hmm. I'm going to have to do a little more investigation of that one. That was news to me this morning. Wow. Truly. Wow. That's incredible. So we got to say an interesting race uh, at a minimum, uh, do we not? And with uh, the Democrat Brandon Presley taking on Governor Tate Reeves. Of course, we don't we won't see a lot of that until the general. But if neither other than I guess at this point, Brandon has a, a, a Democrat primary opponent. The governor, I do not think at this point, is drawn a primary opponent. They may just focus on each other. Brandon already is. Yeah, he definitely came out on the attack yesterday with that <laughs> video he released, which, which, by the way, you can watch that at supertalk.fm if you'd like to. Um, I think what's going to be interesting about the governor's race is in the last general election, I heard a lot of talk about split votes. People weren't voting party so much in that election as they were for the candidate. And I'm interested to see who Mississippi supports in the governor's race as a result of that. Are we going to go Democratic 
Republican, which is where we've tended to vote, or are we going to split that ticket? Or are we going to, you know, I think it makes for a really interesting race. Yeah, no doubt about it. At this point, we've got Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, who is uh, already qualified for uh, re-election. He hasn't drawn a primary opponent. Uh, however, lots of buzz about the possibility of State Senator Chris McDaniel taking on the lieutenant governor. What are you hearing on that from South Mississippi? I've heard the rumor on that as well. I haven't seen anything official on that. But all of these candidates, anybody that wants to run for office in the state of Mississippi this year, has until February 1st. And I would imagine there are a lot of backdoor conversations going <laughs> on right now where people are trying to decide, hey, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And even, you know, from legislators and and state leaders that are already in office just trying to figure out, do I run for this same office? Do I try my hand at something else? So that'll be interesting. Yeah, we've uh, already learned that Shawaski Young, Democrat, who opposed uh, Congressman Michael Guest in the midterms for congressional House seat uh, representing Mississippi's 3rd District, has announced he's running for Secretary of State. Curiously mm-hmm. enough, present, currently seated Secretary of State Michael Watson on, on our program Tuesday, when asked, said he has not made an official announcement as to his plans. Yeah. Watch this space, basically, <laughs> is what we got, right? So yeah. I'm not telling you yet. I'll let you know when I'm ready. And that's fine. I think we can all understand that. Another big thing that happened this week, I know you're really into uh, the financial side of life. You're a lot smarter about it than I am, according to what I garner when I listen to your show. Uh, But it does look like inflation, it was rising and rising and rising at such a fast pace. It's not doing that anymore. It seems to have slowed down. Uh, What I find interesting is... The price of everything seems to go up. Everybody gets really upset about it. It's big news. And then the price doesn't really go up anymore, but it's still so much higher than what we were paying, and it stops hitting the news. Yeah. And people quit talking about it, and the prices never come back down. This just becomes the new normal. I would really like to see that change. Yeah, you're exactly right. I I think there's more focus on month-to-month changes as opposed to year-over-year. And and though what you said uh, at first there is absolutely correct, it slowed somewhat. It's moderated Mm -hmm. somewhat. Certainly the pace of inflation from 9% in June to 6 and change here in the recent report. But still, when you compare that to last year, it's still up a fair amount. 6% is still a lot, especially if folks' wages aren't uh, keeping pace. And so the the net effect of that for most Americans overall is still negative. They're upside down. Their wages aren't keeping up. So it's the it's the uh, it's right. the net effect that's causing problems. But you're absolutely right, and I'd like to see all that change as well. I did note that Tesla Tesla announced price decreases today. Also, some reports this morning from the housing industry. Fairly sharp drop in average home prices because mortgage rates are up. Demand is also down. So we're starting to see the markets at work there. But it's still in enough. Still a lot of folks are priced out just because of the mortgage rates. Mm. 
We'll see where all that goes. Kelly, appreciate you joining us and uh, giving us uh, your thoughts and update. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks for all you do for Super Talk. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Gerard. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays at Super Talk Mississippi. So the Mega Millions jackpot, second largest in U.S. history. Second largest. There will be a drawing this evening. It's up to $1.35 billion. Or if you just want the cash, sorry, you only get seven hundred and twenty. million. That'll work. I could probably make it on that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see here. Our old friend is back on the 228. Let me see where it started today. Oh, there is no such thing as the Democrat Party, Gerard. Referring to my description of the party with the word Democrat, except the Oxford Dictionary begs to differ with you. So go argue with them. It's true. Now, some use it interchangeable. Some prefer one word over another. But according to the Oxford Dictionary, the use of Democrat to describe the party is more appropriate. And he says yeah, that's a Democrat, a noun, a member or supporter of the Democratic Party of the U.S. Crazy. And that's a perfect example of you lying again? Like I said yesterday, <laughs> this ignorant person would argue with a signpost and still be wrong. If you said the sky was blue, he would be adamantly opposed and say, no, it's teal. <laughs> He's so stuck in whatever rut it is that's got him acting out this way and and needing the therapy of the ceasefire text line. <laughs> it's it's asinine to make assumptions and then throw around straw man arguments like he does, but he still does it. And he says that that's why no one should believe what comes out here at Super Talk because we can't get the party. A description correct there. The name, the label. Jeez. Unbelievable. I got, a, I got an idea for you. You know, on your radio there, in your car, <laughs> there's two knobs. You turn either one of them to the left, you won't have to worry about us. Because we know you love the left, so just turn them both to the left, and you won't have to hear it anymore. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, we're tired of your engagement. <laughs> And if you keep calling us liars and then getting offended when I call you ignorant, we're just going to block you because you provide nothing to the conversation. 
Tim and McGee says, and he's still listening. But we're perplexed by that as well, uh, Tim. And someone else on the 662 says, he can't be serious. So he's he's all bent out. It's another example, is it not, Rhino, of liberals getting twisted up like a pretzel over words and names. In this case, it's just semantics. It makes no sense. People know what we're talking about. Was there any confusion on anybody's part? Only his, because he's ignorant. We were referring to. Wow. Shock Bully says, Super Talk isn't troll proof. <laughs> Amanda from Pike County wants to know what the taxes would be on the $700 million. Depends on what state you live in, Amanda. The federal tax rate on gaming winnings, which includes lottery prizes, is 24% flat. In the state of Mississippi, gaming winnings are taxed at 3%. So it's 27% is what you pay. Total. Net. So you can do the uh, the math on, on that, what, uh, $180 million or so? I think it's what it turns out to be. It's what you pay. If you won $700-something million. That would still probably be enough after the net. Kelly did make an interesting point, though, about the way we measure inflation and the focus. And the reason primarily the economists focus on, as opposed to the consumers. Consumers think about, man, I remember a year ago, I was paying $4 for a dozen eggs, and now it's 8 as an example. I don't know what the real numbers are, other than the last report I saw indicated eggs were up like 63%, mostly driven by a huge outbreak of the flu that just devastated the chicken population. But the it's real wages. Real wages was the term I was searching for that it just escaped me when we were talking to Kelly. Real wages is really just a calculation of, well, my wages went up by X percent, but inflation chewed that up to the tune of X percent CPI. The difference between those two is is the adjustment to my real wages. I mean, that's pretty common sense. Uh, I'm making a dollar more, but everything costs a dollar ten. Well, I'm upside down. I got a dollar more of gross wage increase, but my real wages, I'm in the in the hole because stuff costs more. Inflation outpaced as a percentage the increase in my income, real wages. But economists are more focused on trends, and that's why they look uh, stronger at month to month. They're not looking so much at last year versus this year. I think the average person, that's kind of their benchmark, I would say. I remember before all this started happening, gas was this and eggs were that and my rent was so much, my power. A lot of people are paying attention to that now because energy's gone through the roof. Yeah, I'm paying now in the wintertime what I was paying in the summertime for AC. Yeah. And I'm not running the AC. You're not even running it. Right. Exactly. So it's absolutely true. Also, we should point out that Representative Benny Thompson has endorsed Democrat candidate Brandon Presley for governor. Oh, is it Democratic? You're going to get bent out of shape over that? That's the way I say it. <laughs> Don't like that? Take it up with Oxford. Or just take a hike. <laughs> 
So that's like all you need to know there, isn't it, that Benny Thompson is in Brandon's court? It is to me. I mean, that's something that certainly should be considered, I feel. Something else that, that Brandon said that I thought was interesting, if I can uh, get it going here, it was a, it was a commentary about uh, a post, actually, about um, health care and kind of where he stands on that. And he said that this was after he announced and he publishes video and so forth. He made a statement about needing to address the, the health care situation in the state of Mississippi. And, and of course, I, I, I agree it's a problem. There's no doubt about that. But I'm curious to see what his plans are. How are you going to address this issue? I really want to see specifics on that. Yeah, I'm looking for his exact statement on that. I'll keep looking for it. But it, it, clearly he's made that a priority, and I'm all for it being at the top of the list of things to, to look at. I'm just not sure that government has a role here. I'm not sure what they're, they could do. Now, they, of course, would say, they being Medicaid expansion proponents, that we just need to do that. We just need to expand Medicaid, and everything uh, is fixed. Well, that's just simply not true, not true whatsoever. And even... Uh, even Dr. Edney with the Department of Health has said that. that no, that, that ain't going to get it done. That's not enough. The Democrats, of course, in the uh, legislature, I almost said Congress, the Democrats in the legislature, they have a, a plan, and that is just to give them $150 million, which is just a short-term Band-Aid-type fix that isn't going to go very far towards addressing the problem, not even close to addressing the problem. He said, uh, yeah. So I don't know what his specific plans are. Still looking for his statement. It doesn't mean anything, really. I was just looking to read the exact statement. He basically said we need to address the health care issue in the state of Mississippi and fight for families and so forth. But so basically Medicaid expansion. I guess that's it. I mean, that's the only thing. Other than giving $150 million, that's the only thing I've heard that's come out of the Democrat side uh, in, in this uh on this particular issue, I, okay, Medicaid expansion, that ain't going to solve the problem. That's just not going to solve the problem. It, it's You could say it's better than nothing from the hospital's perspective that they would have less theoretically uninsured care and more reimbursed care. Still doesn't solve the problem. Foreigner bumping us out of this segment here. Coming right back, we got a lot more to talk about. And Lee Yancey. From the Mississippi House of Representatives at 12.05. And on Super Talk TV. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Mark, Don, and Mel, Grand Funk Railroad. We're an American band. Back with you in the Element Well Studios. Brandon Presley, Benny Thompson, Jim Hood, Biden, Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they're all the same. So I did find it, the statement that Mr. Presley made. This is when he initially announced. He said, I'm officially in the race. We deserve a governor who understands the struggles of working families, small businesses, and all of our communities. We deserve a governor who will extend health care to working people and save our hospitals. So whenever you hear the we'll extend health care to working people, that generally refers to Medicaid expansion, because what expansion does is make the program, the coverage, available to abled-bodied adults. That literally is how the coverage group is defined. Base Medicaid offers coverage to, to children who live in homes where the household income is below a certain federal poverty level, and the states have some latitude in setting that threshold. I think in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, it's 250 percent. It's it's changed a little bit through the years, but I believe I'm pretty close there. And then there are the dis, the disabled, the blind, and then the other coverage groups are pregnant women. And then the indigent elderly. These would be folks that are um, of a certain age, seniors, who may or may not, generally, they're going to be on Medicare, but their income is such that they qualify for Medicaid. I haven't looked at the numbers in a while, but of all those coverage groups in general, it's no surprise it's the indigent elderly that consume the lion's share. They're, they're not the largest coverage group in terms of the number of people, lives covered, but they're old. And a lot of times they're in nursing homes That's where it comes from. So expansion, a lot of people don't realize this. It's Base Medicaid is not coverage for able-bodied adults. They're not eligible to participate in base Medicaid. They can get subsidies for private coverage that they can purchase in the Obamacare exchanges uh, based on their income. It's income-based. So expansion simply extends Medicaid to able-bodied adults whose income, by the way, is below 138% of the federal poverty level and in the state of Mississippi, I think that's about seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars for an individual. Not a lot, honestly. Just barely above minimum wage. Now, depending on who you talk to, the number of people that fall into that category that would qualify for Medicaid that presently don't have coverage is anywhere from a hundred to two hundred thousand people. Uh, literally, it it's just depends on who you talk to and ask that question. And I'm not sure if we know with absolute certainty what that number is. Now, I have said that given the extension of the generous subsidies from the, the uh, American Rescue Plan, they were extended 
in the Inflation Reduction Act. In the Obamacare exchanges, why are we promoting and encouraging people who would qualify for Medicaid under expansion to sign up for coverage? I've said this many times on the program, and I know folks are listening. I'll say it again. Folks that could do something about this. We should be promoting that as an idea. And we should be tracking that. We should have some understanding of the number who would qualify. And additionally, that threshold is 150% where the premiums are zero. 150% of the federal poverty level, depending on the number in your household, that figure is different. You've seen the chart, the matrix on that. If your household's income, based on the number in your household, is less household is less than 150% of the federal poverty level, you qualify for subsidies in the Obamacare exchanges to purchase private coverage at zero, nothing. Prior to the American Rescue Plan, the chart of the scale, really, of the federal poverty level and the maximum amount amount someone within that bracket would pay for coverage was two percent at a hundred and uh, between a hundred and two hundred percent was two percent. So now at a hundred and fifty percent and below, it's zero percent. Even though the two percent wasn't a lot when you think about you're talking about seven eight hundred bucks a year. Most of us pay that a month. Right, And then, now you will get this rebuttal. They'll say, well, what about the out-of-pocket costs? Talking about deductibles and co-pays. There's also a program, cost-sharing program is what it's called, that will subsidize that. But maybe that's what the state ought to look like. Instead of expanding, look at, expanding Medicaid, maybe the state and the hospital association ought to come up with something to help fund the, the uh, out-of-pocket cost and, and push people that otherwise would sign up for Medicaid under expansion to the exchanges to get private coverage. And then I, then I hear the other rebuttal I hear from the left, mainly the Medicaid expansion proponents. Well, everybody doesn't take that private coverage. Oh, so you're saying Obamacare's not good? Wait, I thought you told us it was great. Make your mind up here. Everybody doesn't take Medicaid either, as you well know. In fact, most physicians' offices have signs on the doors that they won't take any new Medicaid and Medicare patients. You've seen that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Everywhere. Because they lose their shirt on the ones they have. No doubt about it. They don't want any more. And you'll see some that'll say, hey, we take it. The bottom line is, it's not ubiquitous. You don't have the choice of providers the way you do with private coverage. And even that has some limitations, depending on the network that's been built by the carrier. In the state of Mississippi, primarily Blue Cross and United Health have the biggest, most extensive carrier networks. They just do, because they write the most coverage in the state. But it's still something that should be considered. And I would submit that if we get more people enrolled you'd have more providers that would accept those private plans. The sure as heck. Now, they want Medicaid versus zero. Well, they'll take these private plans versus zero, too. 
when it comes to those that are uncovered, which is where all the problems lie. It's, it's people that don't have any insurance. They're still going to get the care. We're a, I think, a compassionate society. And then you've got Impala and the Hippocratic Oath and all kinds of other standards that come into play. We're not going to let anybody die, despite what the left says. They're going to get treated. They're going to pretty much get what they need, and they figure out how to pay for it later. I think folks listening, Rhino, would be shocked to find out that some of these hospitals, even in the urban areas, they're upside down, too. They're cash flow negative. They can't make it either. It's not just the rural. The only ones that make it are those or, or, or produce a positive cash flow, let's put it that way, are those that exist in the more affluent communities with a, with a high portion of patients having full private coverage. If you're relying on Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, or worse, uninsured care, uncompensated care, you can't make that work. You simply can't make that work. Now, I know Thomas and Greenwood wants to argue about the administrative cost. That's his favorite talking point, administrative cost. And I shared that with you before, Thomas, at Greenwood LaFleur, which has been kind of the poster child for the rural hospitals that are struggling and on the cusp of full closure. Their administrative costs come in at about 18%. Now, you tell me, what, what should it be? I'm not an expert in this, but I can tell you this. You could look across, as I have, the spectrum of hospitals across the country and look at their administrative costs. They're in line, but some of those are making money and some aren't. What's the difference? The ones that are, most of their services are covered, reimbursed by private insurers. Greenwood LaFleur, they're not. Most of theirs is uninsured. They're getting no reimbursement. I don't care what your admin costs are, and I'm not defending Greenwood LaFleur here. I'm just saying as a practical matter, if a a large component of your services are not getting paid for, that's just not viable. I don't care what business you're in. Peter Frampton with my guitar there. Coming right back with Representative Lee Yancey at 12.05. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. That the Kareem Jean Pierre theme song. No, that would be Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Okay. Well, the artist fits the Spin Doctors on the ceasefire text line. Technically, the sky is not blue. Bark, it's black. The the only reason why we can uh, pigment color is the sunlight through the nitrogen and oxygen particles. 
Yeah. Well, you can certainly argue that, I guess. That is well. Which means the atmosphere the <laughs> appears blue, so it's blue. <laughs> what it sounds like to me, seems like. Laugh out loud. That is well. I love the show. Y'all are great. Appreciate that. Give them hell, Rhino, says the ceasefire text line president-elect. That in reference to Rhino's uh, little exchange there with our, our texter that called me a liar. <laughs> because I used Democrat to describe the party. By the way, Dan in Hattiesburg says if he's embarrassed about his party, he doesn't have to vote for them. Fat chance on that. Charlie from Hickory Flat, I have a low tolerance for stupidity. Snowing in Tupelo? Really? Right now? Snowing? Had a couple reports of snow, at least flurries, for a big chunk, a big swath of North Mississippi. Somebody t- uh, texted us earlier is up in Cincinnati picking up a vehicle and dealing with some serious sleet or something, I believe, earlier on in the program when we were talking about the blustery conditions this morning. I love you guys. You are second only to the gospel, says Tony and Saltillo. Appreciate that, Tony. Wow, Nancy and Brandon, Justin Sams, two, uh, uh, 18 carton of eggs, thirteen ninety nine. Good grief. Wow. Who put out the stickers, Republicans for Presley? We're not sure. We heard that. I thought you were the one that told us about it, William. Maybe not. Somebody else informed us of that yesterday, right? But I'm not sure if it truly is the product of Republicans who do support Mr. Presley, or maybe it's them, right? Their own Democrat camp. Well, I mean, most campaigns provide the majority of the campaign materials. Right. Chris from Oxford says he was a hell of a public service commissioner, and we, we've heard the same, honestly. But I'll say that... But if he didn't want to align with the National Democrats, he wouldn't be running as a Democrat for governor. Yeah, it's so it's it's pretty hard to gain a lot of uh, understanding of a person's philosophy with respect to governing. And by that, I mean policymaking and lawmaking as a public service commissioner. I'm not even sure why we have party affiliation for the public service commissioner. It'd be hard for me to, I guess, really filter through that as to, okay, so you align with this party versus that party. What does that mean as far as what this office does. It's it's questionable. Not the same as someone sitting in the legislature or uh, statewide governor, lieutenant governor, for sure. Don't have quite the, the, I think, the control, the, the influence on policy. I'd vote for that Democrat truck driver that ran a few years ago that nobody knew about. Ran against Phil Bryant, right? His own mom didn't know he was running. (laughs) Before I would. Brandon Presley. Uh, Did you see where someone came up with a method of totally eliminating carbon from the manufacturing process, says Darren and Jackson? Well, we discussed new technology that would remove carbon from the open air that uh, proved that it worked to the scientific community, such that, and it's in Iceland, that Microsoft actually bought carbon credits from 
this organization. But no, I haven't seen. I, I, it depends on, I guess, what manufacturing process we're talking about here. We're talking about the machines that consume power to produce goods, products. So I'm not sure what you mean by the manufacturing process. That could apply to a lot of different manufacturing. Hmm. Philip Gunn for Governor Jeremy in Caledonia says, don't think the speaker intends to to run for governor at this point. Uh, do you think Kohlberger is guilty? I know it's off the subject. Sure does point in that direction to me that he is. I happen to be, my wife likes to watch the, uh, I think it's the ID channel where they have the crime stories. You ever seen that before? It's one of the more obscure oh, networks. Yeah. True crime is a whole genre into itself. My wife loves all that stuff. So last night they had a show featuring, I think it was the 2003 murders in Vaughn, Mississippi, Holmes County. Do you happen to remember that? It was kind of fascinating. The documentary really dug into it. Brandon Presley, nobody can link him to AOC. Everybody is not monolithic. Moderation means not a radical, not mushy middle. That is... Not a dirty word, says Jeff in Forest Still County. Still a D by his name. We'll take that up later, Johnny. Uh, Jeff, appreciate that. Coming right back. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're in the Element Wealth Studios on this Friday, y'all. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Joining us now in the Element Wealth Studios, kicking off the afternoon portion of the show, Representative Lee Yancey. He represents District 74, which includes Rankin County. He serves as the chair of the House Drug Policy Committee. Representative Yancey, good to see you. Happy New Year. Great to be here, Gerard. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So you guys have been down there at the Capitol getting ready to make them laws. You've been at it for a little over a a week here, week and a half, almost two weeks. It's like a locomotive getting going. It's just taking (laughs) off very, very slowly and chugga, 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 and and pretty soon we're going to be going full speed. Yeah. So when's the deadline? For so we so we just had a deadline to introduce uh, general bills last Wednesday, and I think in, um, those bills have to be dropped by Monday. Okay, and then there'll be another deadline for appropriations bills um, later on. I think it's near the first of February. Okay, so we're getting there. Getting there. Yeah. yeah. What's coming out of your committee, the Drug uh, Policy Committee? So the Drug Policy Committee, obviously, we're still making tweaks to the Medical Cannabis Act that we passed last year and um, just trying to make that work more smoothly. A couple of places that are that are bumpy. Uh, I think two background checks are required uh, for an employee of a dispensary when one background check would be sufficient. Uh, Department of Public Safety didn't feel like they had the 
authority to conduct a federal background check for a Schedule One drug. Um, you know, and so we were trying to get language for them in order to do a background check on those who work in the business. Uh, the background check covering the entire country rather than what we're doing now, which is just the state. So just trying to make some things a little smoother. I'm not looking to make big, big changes until we know exactly what we've got. We haven't sold the first product yet. Hmm. Uh, So we need to know – we need some data to – uh, see what's working, what's not working before we, you know, start fiddling with it too much. So where do we stand while we're talking about that? I, I thought so, we were supposed to have retail sales cranking up the end of November, which yeah, what uh, yeah. we were told. Well, the testers have been licensed, uh, at least one, and one is one has been licensed for flour only, and they're working on getting licensed for their other concentrates and edibles and things. And it looks like there will be product in the dispensary probably in the next week or two. Hmm. Um, So uh, the testing facility in Natchez is open and running, and the one in Flowood is open for flour, and uh, they're getting very, very close. So there's another testing facility in Holly Springs. There's another one that's being opened in Meridian that's a few weeks behind these others, and I know of another on the coast. So uh, we we are a week or two away from the first products being sold. And actually having some data uh, that we can work with to try and, and you know, get the program where it needs to be. Okay. Uh, some of the other issues, you know, we're always dealing with these gas station drugs like Kratom and Tineptine. And what I'm looking at doing this year is just kind of turning that over to the health department, to the state health officer, and creating a screening and approval program for the retail sale of products that are sold over the counter that have addictive properties, that, the tendency hmm. to be used and abused, and that would cover a lot of different drugs and drugs that don't even exist yet. Uh, rather than us having to continually bring these before the legislature, having a bill to schedule this one or a bill to schedule that one, let's just let the let's let's put this in the realm of of medicine and science rather than in the realm of the politicians. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of things are being sold in the gas stations now that don't need to be. And our kids are able to get their hands on some of those things. And, and they're just not – they're not good. They're addictive. They have the same properties uh, as opioids. They attach to opioid receptors in the brain like opioids do. And people are getting addicted to some of these things. And, and you know, we need to – we need to have someone taking a look at, at what's being sold. This came up last year in the session, it, did it, it did, not? It did. We passed a ban on, cr- like, Kratom in the in the House, and the Senate, yeah. Senate didn't take it up. And and then there's also uh, 10 Neptune. You know, there are people who, who think Kratom has value and, and uh, has helped them get off of opioids or helped them with PTSD or whatever. Yeah. No one has, has called me to say 10 Neptune is a good thing. No one in, in the world has tried to touch base with me on Tianeptine. Yeah. Uh, Kratom, according to the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics and according to the State Medical Association and experts and, and psychologists who counsel people who have drug addiction, they all say Kratom is, is bad. Um, but, you know, there are some who use it who say it's not. So, you know, the federal government has kind of kicked the can down the road, hasn't made a final decision on it. And so um, I think maybe – uh, there are some who don't want to get ahead of the federal government in, you know, in scheduling it. Yeah, um, I'm working on some other bills. Uh, one is a water safety bill that would. Uh, this a mother came to me who had lost her child to drowning, and this bill it comes out of Florida. 
but the bill would uh, require schools to give kindergartner parents um, a list of where swimming lessons are taught in the area. And they can do that with a handout or they can do it with an email. Uh, there's no money involved in the bill. If the, if the family needs uh, financial aid to take swimming lessons, there is a foundation in Florida that is willing to provide huh. scholarships for kids to take swimming lessons. And it's, it's called Every Child a Swimmer. And it is a way to uh, just make parents aware that learning how to swim is important, and we try to cut down on the drowning deaths. I asked the Department of Health for uh, the numbers on how many kids that we have who drown each year. And, you know, it's it's like five to ten kids every year drown in, in a swimming pool or in a creek. Huh. And, um, you know, this is to be a valuable tool that they could have for the rest of their life. And it, and it's, it doesn't cost the state anything. Uh, just to make the parents aware of where swimming lessons are taught. Yeah. And just being aware will cause more of them to get their kids there. Who's, who's the committee that would deal with that? That committee, let's see, it's House Bill 13, uh, Water Safety, Public Schools, maybe Education. Okay. I'm thinking Education. Okay. So that's one of the things. Another thing, you know, last year we passed Cole's Law that said you couldn't discriminate against a person with a dis- disability for an organ transplant, and uh, whether you have Down syndrome or you have some some other disability. And I'm trying to get this language out of the Mississippi Code, uh, like the words mentally retarded. I'm trying to replace that terminology with intellectual disability, mm-hmm. just to bring it up to, to to modern terms and and not to have the stigma associated with mentally retarded and and to try to be a little more sensitive and it's again something that doesn't cost anything it's just uh something that updates that also we have a problem with uh, some parents not paying child support and so again this year really? i have filed a bill uh you know in the, with the lottery commission if, if you win the lottery your winnings are withheld uh, and sent to your child if you owe child support. And so I wanted to do the same thing with casino winnings. And so this bill would require uh, procedures to be put in place to intercept casino winnings uh, t- to give to the children if there is a, an arrearage in paying child support. Yeah. So that's another thing I'm working on. I'm still trying to uh, go after the certificate of need process. I think it is an unnecessary regulation that – uh, prevents competition in the healthcare field. I don't think that you should have to have a certificate of need to open, uh, you know, a place for, you know, to you provide know, medical a, a, a services, chemical, right? A chemical dependency service, a, a, an ambulatory service center. Um, I think that you know this is free market, and if anyone wants to open uh, a clinic that is closer to where someone lives, that is better for the consumer. Yeah. And, you know, it drives down prices. It drives up quality. And uh, we're going to keep pushing on this CON issue until we get some relief. Um, another thing, I got, can I, I got sure. You know I've been crusading on this for 20 years, it seems yep, like. Yep. And it just seems like every year, Representative Yancey, there's interest, but it just never gets out of committee. Mm-hmm. Do you think... We may see something now. We could possibly see something now. It may be now. It may be next year or the next or the next. Sometimes it takes years and sometimes decades to to get to good policy. Uh, but I believe good policy is good politics, and I'm going to keep pushing for good policy uh, to have you know 
a crack in this CON language so that we can have more competition in health care. I think it's one of those things that probably the average citizen is not aware of. But in essence, if you want to build a clinic, a hospital, add beds to your hospital, buy certain equipment, absolutely, it's things like that, you mm-hmm. got to get permission from the Department of Health to do it. Yeah. That's the way it works. We're That's taking it. a break. You stay with us? I can. we got Representative Lee Yancey from Rankin County in the Element Well Studios coming right back. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Taking us into this segment here on Middays with Representative Lee Yancey from Rankin County in the Element Well Studios. Okay, so what else? Uh, tell us about the fentanyl testing strips. Is so, something else you're taking yeah, a look at? Yeah, fentanyl testing strips are something we've been talking about for a couple of years. I, I didn't really know what they were last year. Uh, also, not only fentanyl testing strips, they have some fentanyl testing wipes, like a, a wet nap almost hmm. that you could. You could, you know, touch it on a on a pill, and you can it'll turn a different color if, if the pill has fentanyl in it. As you know, there's an opioid crisis going across our country. There are many young and old people, but a lot of young people who are dying from taking pills. Uh, you know, we try to get the message out: one pill can kill. There are a lot of people who who make mistakes and go through seasons in their life when they experiment with drugs. And a lot of the kids that are in our colleges uh, are given a pill at a party or something like that. And we we don't want that kind of mistake to be a fatal mistake. And by offering to put these fentanyl testing strips or testing wipes, uh, just decriminalizing it. Right now it's on the paraphernalia list. Uh, it would be like an you know something they could add on uh, as a penalty if they were prosecuting someone who was pushing drugs, um, but this would help someone to know whether the presence of fentanyl was there and and would save their life if they you know didn't take it. You know some would argue that this might promote drug use. I would say people who take pills are going to continue to take pills, and if we care about whether or not they live or die. We need to show a little grace and, and decriminalize these te- these fentanyl testing strips and give them a chance to have a second chance, to have a life, to get past this season of their life. Uh, you know, I would say to all college students out there right now, don't take pills. Don't take anything that wasn't prescribed to you by your doctor or, you know, over-the-counter medication, normal things. Don't take a pill at a party. One pill can kill. You don't know what's in that pill. And um, But for God's sake, if you do take one, test it for fentanyl. Make sure that it's not going to kill you if you take that pill. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I think why not? why not? Why not try to save lives? And it makes sense to me. 
Um, another bill I'm working on is an is an income tax uh, credit. Uh, to rural hospitals. So, for instance, let's say you owe money to the state tax commission. Rather than giving some of the money that you would owe to the tax commission, you can choose the rural hospital of your choice and and give your money to that. You're going to pay the tax regardless to the state of Mississippi. So let's say you owe 100 bucks in state tax. That's probably what you owed last year, Gerard. Yeah, and so, so you could give 50 bucks to the state, and you could give 50 bucks to the rural hospital of your choice, and your tax liability would be satisfied. This is up to $5 million. At that point, it gets cut off, but that's what it would basically cost the state. It wouldn't receive that $5 million, I like it. But it would go to a rural hospital. Um, and also, I am working on basically an ESG bill uh, for the PERS. You know, if 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 I'm investing, if if I'm a state employee or I'm a school teacher, and I am working hard, and part of my money is going into PERS for me to have a pension at my retirement, I want to make sure that those who are investing the funds are doing so to try and get the maximum return for me. They're not investing for some uh, environmental or social government governance kind of motive. For instance, let's just let's just call it what it is. There are some who will not invest in oil and gas anymore. There were some who, you know, say we're only going to invest in electric vehicles <laughs> even if that stock is performing poor, more poorly than an Exxon stock or a Chevron stock. And what we're saying with this bill is that in order for something to be invested for a state employee, you have to be a fiduciary. You have to put their interest above your own, and you are trying to find a way to get get them the maximum return they can get. You're not trying to participate in some type of social experiment. You could argue that they're in violation of their fiduciary responsibility for putting those sorts of social issues above their their primary mission and their function, which is to maximize return on the, the investor's money. And it's just getting crazier and crazier across our country. You know, no sometimes doubt. I think you know, we, sometimes I think in Mississippi, you know, we have our issues here, but generally. You know, it's the voice of sanity uh, when we compare it to what's going on in the rest of the country. No doubt. So, um, so I think that's an important, important bill. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing bills for the city of Brandon and for Rankin County, and um, working on um, a number of things that would be helpful to um, my constituents. Okay. Um, but. At any rate, we've got a lot going on, and you know, glad that the, the session has finally started, and uh, we're now we're going through the process of getting all the bills introduced, and the speaker is assigning those to different committees, and our committees have already begun meeting. Some have begun meeting, some will begin next week, and uh, we'll get those bills voted on. Some of those bills voted on in committee, and then they'll come to the floor. So on the program last week, Speaker made it clear his top priority is still to eliminate the income tax. And then yesterday we had uh, House Ways and Means Chair Trey Lamar also make that statement. It's obviously in his wheelhouse, in his committee. So where do you think we're going to go on that? You got a feel? You know, it's all going to come down to a, a conversation between the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor. And... There's going to have to be uh, something worked out uh, as, as to what direction we go. The two of them uh, have 
a, a great amount of power in that either of them can stop anything in the state from happening legislatively. Right. All they have to do is not let it come up. Uh, but in order for something to pass, both they have to work together. So, you know, working together sometimes is harder than, you know, than you might think. Yeah. And there are different uh, – good people can have different opinions about, you know, ways to go about, you know, eating the elephant, if you will. <laughs> um, so one bite at a time. But, um, you know, it'll all come down to what they can work out and what – Pressures are applied from outside uh, the Capitol, and you know the monies that we have come in. We've obviously we've got our coffers overflowing. We've got more money than we've ever had. Uh, it is a great time to use that money to eliminate the income tax. That would be something that would be an ongoing benefit to the citizens of Mississippi. I think you know giving something uh, a one-time check. Uh, you know that's. You know, you've heard the old adage, you know, you could give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day, or you can teach them the fish and they'll they'll eat for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, we can give them a check this year for $500 or whatever, or we can eliminate the income tax and they never have to pay it again. Yeah. So, you know, to me, that's that's a much more effective way of returning the money to the taxpayer. Yeah, I'm just not sure that the taxpayers really are interested in just a one-time, what would amount to a, a fairly small rebate. Right. I think they're they're looking for something that that is, is more than just the, the financial aspect of that, but something that really just changes the structure of uh, taxation in the state of Mississippi and positions us as uh, a really a better place to set up shop and do business and live. Absolutely. I think there are a lot of people who would who would see Mississippi as as very much uh more business progressive and friendly uh to be able to come come to a place that, you know, lets you keep more of your money. All right, the other thing that I, I have uh, described as unfinished business from the last session is the citizen ballot initiative process. As you know, we had a House version, a Senate version, couldn't come together on that, didn't get any legislation across the finish line. What do you think is going to happen there? I think that there is a consensus that there needs to be a ballot initiative process, but there needs to be a very high threshold for, for getting something on the ballot so that we don't become like California and have nine or ten ballot initiatives every time there's an election. I think there is just, frankly, some fear that um, – uh, some, some don't want to expand Medicaid, and some do. And and some who, if we put that out there to the state, you know, you're letting them vote on fiscal issues for the state that affect the budget. And uh, you know, there there are issues that could be voted on um, that you know, frankly, aren't that popular, you know, with re- Republicans. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm not on that committee and don't have a, a dog in that fight, other than. Uh, I do think there needs to be a ballot initiative process. I just think it, there needs to be a high threshold. Okay. Well, so we'll see where that goes. The House, uh, the bill that passed the House last year, of course, uh, maintained the same threshold as currently is in the Constitution. That's correct. 12% of the total ballots cast in the last governor's election. The Senate, on the other hand, their threshold was 12% of the total registered voters, roughly right. twice that of the right. House.
Hmm. I think there are ways to collect signatures a lot easier than you used to collect signatures, and so that's being taken into consideration. Okay. We'll see where all that goes. Representative Lee Yancey from Rankin County has been our guest on Middays. Appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure to be here. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone sticks fooling yourself. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We appreciate Representative Lee Yancey giving us a heads up on all the stuff he's got going on down there at the Capitol. I don't think his life's quite as stressful as it was this time last year dealing with the medical cannabis bill. That's pretty stressful, wasn't it? We just don't have anything quite that high profile this year. I say the ballot initiative, tax reform, they just don't have the sizzle <laughs> that that one did. And of course, that's largely because of the catalyst being a citizen measure that, in fact, passed, but then was nullified by the Supreme Court of Mississippi. So that just kind of added to the drama. Speaking of drama, (laughs) the debt ceiling. Well, it turns out that Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, has informed that we're going to run out of money here pretty soon. Like next week, next Thursday, the U.S. will reach its statutory debt limit. And the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who's more concerned about climate change than running the dang Treasury, she has, of course, notified Congress in accordance with her duties. And that starts with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, because that's where that stuff starts out. She said that the Treasury Department will begin, quote, taking certain extraordinary measures to prevent the United States from defaulting on its obligations. This is coming a bit sooner than expected, by the way. She told McCarthy, quote, It is unlikely that cash and extraordinary measures will be exhausted before early June. But we can't, meaning we don't need to raise the debt ceiling to continue to operate through June. we got sufficient cash on hand to pay the bills. But at that point, we're going to have to borrow more money. So you got to deal with this now because we're 
we're borrowing to a point where we're going to exceed the debt ceiling. And this is going to be a showdown. There is no doubt about it. And Kevin McCarthy made it very clear, even before he was elected Speaker, that he's not just going to rubber stamp an increase in the debt ceiling. He's told the president he wants to sit down to address the concerns, suggesting a cap on spending in exchange for a temporary bump in the debt ceiling. That's what he wants to do. Can you imagine sitting down with Joe Biden and having this discussion? I just think through that. I don't think that would be enjoyable. I don't honestly believe he understands all of these nuances and complexities. I don't care if he's the president or not. I don't think he gets it. I can't imagine having that conversation. But if they can't come up with a deal and Republicans stand pat on that that way of handling it, not increasing spending in exchange for increasing the debt ceiling. So all that really says is we're willing to go into more debt to pay previously obligated expenses. We're just not willing to continue this insanity of increasing spending. And you'll find yourself back in this predicament again. It's a never-ending cycle. So if they stand pat on those terms it is a possibility that the government shuts down. A lot of folks would say, well, that's fine. And maybe we do need to do that. Now, Republicans will, uh, pardon me, Democrats here will go crazy, and they'll tell America that you're not going to get your Social Security and Medicare check, Social Security check, Medicare reimbursement. You're not going to get that if they shut it down, and they'll just dream up all sorts of fear-mongering, and other deleterious consequences, most of which will be farcical, but they'll get everybody fired up. And that's the risk, because believe it or not, most people do believe that, and then that figures into the next election cycle. And that's honestly, to some extent, what they want. They'd love to see the Republicans shut it down and and uh, that result in certain government services and benefits not being available, not being carried out and delivered, and people getting upset about it. They see that as politically expedient, not really as much concerned about the impact to people. It's just how we've gotten in government. I say again, it's because we've conferred way too much dang power. Hmm. So that's all coming up a little sooner than expected. By the way, Dr. Edme at the health department says that he has instructed the county health departments to help patients who don't qualify for Medicaid to uh, be informed about the to inform them about the marketplaces the exchanges commonly known as Obamacare and and 
really when they when folks think about Obamacare, they think about the private coverage that is sold through the exchanges, also known as Dr. Eddie points out, as the marketplaces. And the concept really does make a lot of sense where insurers would advertise and make available their their various policies and coverage models that people could see in one place and compare and pick and select from that. But the exchanges specifically are designed for those who qualify in general for subsidized coverage. And that's all been turned upside down. It's been enhanced dramatically through the Inflation Reduction Act, which just made permanent what was instituted in the American Rescue Plan, which are very generous increases in the subsidies, such that a person making 150% or below the federal poverty level, or a household, actually, has no premium costs, no out-of-pocket costs for premium. They, they do still have to bear the cost of deductibles and co-pays where applicable. That is a difference, the difference between the private coverage in the exchanges and Medicaid. There are no co-pays and deductibles in Medicaid, but there are other programs that will actually help people with certain income levels cover their out-of-pocket costs. So that's good. I appreciate that, uh, Dr. Edney, for... Uh, informing your team at, at the county level about that because, as you know, sir, that a lot of folks just aren't aware of this. They just aren't familiar. And, and right now, if you think about the focus on the Inflation Reduction Act, those provisions rarely get discussed. Everybody knows about the Green New Deal provisions. I think that's kind of front and center. They know about the 87,000 IRS agents. In fact, you probably put that at the top of the list of what people are aware of, one of the more contentious <laughs> provisions. But this is kind of under the radar, this this extension of these generous subsidies for uh, at least four years. That That's kind of flying under the radar, but I think it's critical because I do think this is a way to address the uninsured population in the state short of expanding Medicaid. This doesn't cost the state any money like Medicaid expansion would. This doesn't. So hopefully that'll we'll make some headway uh, there. I think it's uh, important and it's a way to address this the healthcare industry in the state, which is clearly struggling from a financial perspective. Chad in West Point says abolish the income tax. Let's go, Delbert. I don't think at this point the lieutenant governor, from what I can tell, is on board with total abolition of the income tax. He has uh, promoted the idea of a one-time rebate. You heard Representative Yancey talk about that. So that should be an an interesting uh, battle, if you will, I think we'll see in the legislature this year. Once again, just different ideas about how to deal with this this surplus in these good times, financial times we've experienced in the state, the difference between the Senate approach and the House approach. We're coming right back with a final segment here. Ziggy Stardust bumping us out. Stay with us.
You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone final segment middays on this friday y'all ben and from madison says the certificate of need laws are anti-free market i hear you ben been crusading on that gosh for so long can't get it over the finish line but i, I will say this as much as i want to see the the so-called con laws eliminated i will also say this it's gotten so hard to make money in that industry, I think what you'd end up seeing, unfortunately, or it could be fortunate, it just depends on how you want to view it, is a lot of boutique-type clinics and specialty hospitals form, crop up, that would pretty much cater to those with private insurance. That really wouldn't solve the problem of the uninsured and those on Medicaid. That's not who they want, because they can't make money doing that. Now, whether or not there's enough population in a given area with private insurance to make such a business model viable, you see this in the larger communities, urban areas already. You'll see, like, specialty plastic surgery. You've seen that. You go, st- you go get your surgery, and they do vacation packages for it, literally. Well... The person that's uninsured in Mississippi that's, whose income is around the federal poverty level, that ain't where they're going. I've seen situations where people leave the country. There are health care facilities, clinics, specialty-type outpatient surgical centers. Go to Mexico. There are American doctors that have gone down there. You just pay. All-cash deal at a fraction of what it is here. So You can also get a whole lot of different medications in Mexico without a prescription than you can here. Yeah, that that's true. So it, it's, it's just as, as much as I want to see it happen. So I, I think, in my opinion, the window for this opportunity, because we kept kicking this can down the road for so long, it's closed somewhat. It's just gotten so dang hard to make money in that industry. Even, I think, healthcare institutions in areas where you think they're doing fine and they're covered up with, with patient care. But when you start looking at the numbers, you say, gosh, they're not making any money at this. Luke and Flowood, why not dissolve government health insurance and let private companies bid on government contracts? Yeah, so that's that's actually something that some conservative think tanks have talked about, Luke, and and their idea is when you when you look at the cost the government spends per person on health care in this country, last I checked, it comes out to about seventy five hundred, eight thousand bucks a year. Just send everybody a voucher. Go buy your health care. 
That would be more business for private carriers, more opportunity for competition because they'd have a bigger addressable market that they'd want to capture. I actually think that's a pretty good job. Just to let you know, they're 90 million on Medicaid now. 90 million in a in a country with 335 million population. 65 million on Medicare, and then you add into that uh, uh, Tricare as well. So you got 150 million on employer coverage and 20 million or so in the non-group market. Bottom line is about half the people in this country are on government insurance and about half the people are on private insurance. That's the way it shakes out. So it's certainly something to consider, and it's just a very, very complicated matter. uh, Thomas and Greenwood still is upset about the Imtala laws and wants those to go away and doesn't understand why those are in place, and this was a law that was passed under Ronald Reagan in 1986. It's, I know we've discussed it before if you hadn't heard it. It's just a, it's, it's kind of obscure, but everybody in the healthcare world knows about it because they have to adhere to it by law. Just basically says if you're operating an ER and you participate in Medicare and or Medicaid, which virtually every med, uh, ER does, unless it's one of these boutique situations where they only accept private coverage, you're bound by, in those situations where you're in Medicare or Medicaid, to adhere to the EMTALA standards, which just says that whoever shows up, whether they can pay or not, you got to get them stable. But it always ends up going beyond that. And, and then the hospital stuck with a bill. And essentially that gets absorbed into the private premiums we all pay that have private coverage. So I don't think, Thomas, that we're going to see anything happen there. No matter what, people are going to get care if they're about to die. They're going to get stabilized, whether they can pay for it or not. It's just the way it works. Well, that is uh, all the time we have here today on Middays. We appreciate you joining us, at all, as always. And I hope you have a good weekend. We're back here in the Element Well Studios on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.